Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg, who woke up to 18-degree weather this morning, Bill. Well, congratulations for getting out of bed and getting here. We appreciate that, Buzz. The intrepid Ashfielders. Ashfielders? Ashfielders? I like Ashfielders. Ashfielders. Okay, we'll go with that. It is Monday, which means it is Mayor's Monday on WHMP and Talk the Talk. And we are joined by the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. How to put this? Direct from the Rico Mini Bakery in, I think, San Juan? No. No. Where are you, Mayor? Isabella, Puerto Rico. Isabella. Okay. Thank you. And we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, there were elections in uh, Holyoke last Tuesday, uh, not for mayor, but for the council. And I'm wondering if you could help us who do not live in Holyoke in particular uh, understand what the new elected officials, the new councilors will mean in your judgment for the city. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thanks for having me on, as always. Uh, what it means for the recent election, not much has changed, actually. Um, you know, I think that uh, all the councilors that are on board love the city and are hungry for doing what we have to do to improve the quality of life for every, everybody across the city. Um, uh, you know, as, as good as that might seem, obviously low voter turnout continues to be the situation. I think we were at, what, 17% of the registered voters that came out and voted, which is, uh, you know, always a challenge, not just in Holyoke, but everywhere. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we have people that came on board, some returning councilors, actually. Actually, I think all the new members are actually not new. Um, the newest members on the council are actually returning city councilors with one new face that's joined the body. So... Uh, I think that, again, everybody that's on board is uh, ready to represent and do the important work for the people. Uh, Mayor Garcia, I'd be interested to know uh, more of your perspective on something you just mentioned, which is the low voter turnout, particularly in these off-year or odd-year elections. It's an issue we've been talking to a lot of elected and a lot of candidates about, which is the one thing you can virtually guarantee about an off-year election is that there'll be low voter turnout, certainly lower than in election years where uh, we are electing congressional representatives or senators or the president. What's your feeling about these off-year elections and whether having them in the odd year, whether that matters? and it serves some purpose i think that you know that there's a level of disconnect between people in local government politics um in a presidential year for example next year uh, and we and i worked with our city clerk evaluating the the numbers the data you get 70 percent of the voter turnout in presidential years and people pay more attention to national politics than they do local politics um and, you know, I think that just means we have to do a better job with connecting to people and making sure that they understand um, how much of an influence that their um, that their votes have on candidates for decisions that are made locally. Um, I don't think we do enough in, in that area. Um, I could point to some progress we've made uh, that has connected people to pay more attention to what's happening locally so they're getting more involved, but it, it barely scratches the surface when you when you try to understand the, the greater scheme of it all. 
What about the idea of trying to change, I assume it would be a charter change, to have the elections along with or on the same years as either congressional or senatorial or presidential elections? Does that sound like a uh, giving up giving up the ship to uh, say that this off-year election, it's not an experiment anymore, but this uh, off-year election process really just doesn't work that well? I think, I don't mark my words on this, but I think that legally we can't do that for some reason. Having, having a state or federal elections in line with local elections, I think that you can't. Or maybe you can have two completely separate ballots. I mean, it wouldn't be a terrible idea. We just got to understand if whether or not it's allowed. I I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, it, I, it to me, it's every, disappointing every election night when we're broadcasting and it's a off year. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about, you know, is the turnout going to get to 30 percent, in which I get a great victory for democracy, or 40 percent, which occasionally happens. And it's not. It's just not. Uh, and it, I think we make it difficult. We make people, I mean, we've made it better with early voting and uh, uh, no excuse uh, absentee voting. But still, the local elections, as you say, just don't get the attention and therefore don't get the turnout. And yep. I, I don't know if there's more to say about this, but uh, uh, some final thoughts on this election before we go on to another topic. I think that there's a combination of reasons and why we have such low voter turnout in local elections. But, you know, we can't we can't be complacent. We have to continue to be as unintentional, as intentional as possible when connecting with people and doing our outreach to improve voter turnout. And, you know, we got a lot of people in our community that do exactly that. And and there's again, there's there's progress. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it barely scratched the surface. Um, as far as the turnout in Holyoke in that direction, I think it might be a little bit more challenging. But um, again, I think that there's a full sense uh, between every on the direction trying to go on the management level with improving municipal finances, improving services. Uh, I don't see. Uh, much of a challenge there for me in trying to get get to where we're going on that front. Um, uh, so I'm optimistic and uh, excited at the same time, and I'm curious to see what the next year. Can, <coughs> excuse me, what the next year is going to have for us. You're in sunny Puerto Rico, of course. You're optimistic. Buzz <laughs> is waking up to 17 degrees. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of. Hey, a- this doesn't happen all the time, though. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I really do know. I'm just worried. I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> Mayor, what, how do you account for low voter, voter turnout? How do you explain it? Uh, say that again? How do you account for low voter turnout? How do Reasons you explain why it? there's low voter turnout? Yes. Yeah, like I explained it, there's a combination of reasons why. Um, I think one major reason why is uh you know the city of holyoke every corner of our city is you know we got seven wards and the wards are broken down by income and uh just so happens that those wards particularly the lower wards that represent downtown you know we have uh concentrated poverty in that area and uh, historically, when you look at numbers anywhere across the country, 
uh, there's very low voter turnout in uh, areas where there's uh, poorer populations. And, you know, I think that that's why I think we have a, a population that doesn't, for, you know, that are dealing with a number of quality of life challenges that that don't have the prioritized time for local politics. And then also, I think that we have a population that are that that really don't that are not as connected with the community as they would be if they were living in Puerto Rico, for example, because the politics in Puerto Rico, everyone participates. Um, so and it's interesting because while we're here, we, we talk a lot about that um, with the people that I'm with. You know, how do we um, get people to the, the people um, the Puerto Rican population in particular, how do we get them more connected so that they engage and participate in our electoral process? And um, I think since I got elected, um, the first Puerto Rican mayor of the city, again, I think it's opened up some eyes and made people feel connected in ways they've never felt before. So they're empowered and they have a lot of pride. But, you know, we, we have so much more work to do. We're barely scratching the surface. Mayor Joshua Garcia, Mayor of Holyoke, I would like to turn to a topic that has been much in the news recently uh, with perhaps some really very significant changes for the city of Holyoke, and that is the potential, and it seems to be the movement towards having the Holyoke school system be released from state receivership. I think it's been eight years now that the school system Mm -hmm. has been in receivership. What's happening with that? What What do you see in the future? Uh, what I see in the future is uh, control of our school district. Uh, we, the school board joined me in a petition uh, to the commissioner to regain control of the schools, um, which starts the process. Um, after we submitted that petition, uh, the commissioner of education traveled down to Holyoke and met with a handful of school committee members. <clears throat> we had a very very promising um, uh, and optimistic conversation. There is a commitment there um, that was given by the commissioner uh, in support of that transition. Um, Since we've initiated the petition, um, he's doing his, what he has to do to evaluate and come out with his um, decision, which we should learn by spring on what that decision is. And what would a return to school, the school committee actually having the authority to, over the Holyoke schools, how would that change what is happening in receivership or has been happening in receivership for some eight years? I think just more importantly here is, you know, when you're talking about management of public resources, local control of anything is important. It's always important. It's what we... <clears throat> It's what we fight for in this country is the ability to self-govern. Um, you know, I think when we went into re- receivership is a, a process, whether if it's a local government or in this case, we're talking about schools, when you're not meeting your requirements under control, receivership is a tool for the government to the state government to come in. They have much more flexibility under receivership than what we can do when we're in local control. So they'll come in, untangle some knots, move things around, do some adjustments with the goal of transitioning back to control. I think the city of Springfield probably about a decade or two went through that process. (coughs) As far as the municipality is concerned, on the local, on, 
you know, here we're talking about our schools, what they're doing differently than what we could have done when we're in local control is the big debate at the moment. Uh, but regardless where people stand, whether or not the state's doing better than what we could have done, if we were in control, wherever people fall in that argument, the, the being the ability to self-govern and being under control, there's a lot of perception and pride that comes out of that, that contributes to the quality of how we're keeping up with our mandates on education. So, you know, you always want to strive for local control um, of any, you know, so we're self-governing ourselves. And in that you get, you know, there's a lot of value for people in a community just just there overall um in the grand scheme of it whether or not we can manage i i mean i think we can do it do well on our own um you know that's 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 up for that's where the debate is is who who can do it better local control or state control well in that Um, let me ask you this mayor in that regard the school system (coughs) was taken over by the state government put into receivership uh on the basis that the Holyoke schools were not performing well, and there was too high a drop rate, too low a completion rate. Has there been a change in that during the time that the state has had the receivership? There has been. Um, you know, graduations rates improved. The dropout rate um, has decreased. I think, though, the, big, the, the biggest thing here is funding. And, you know... And, and, and you know, people debate this too, which if we were given adequate funding, could we have done a lot better job when we were in local control? <clears throat> when a receivership came in, it's made available additional funding along with the Student Opportunity Act that has improved the funding positions for gateway cities across the Commonwealth. <clears throat> because of the Student Opportunity Act, we have way more money than we've ever had before. And then um, also because of the pandemic, they had ESSER money as well, which was in their version of ARPA money, which is an which was an infusion of cash that offered flexibility to do more things that we've never done before. So I think under receivership, they've had access to revenue sources that we didn't have when we were in local control. And that's, that's a big deal. Um, on top of that, there has been some transformative changes they've implemented internally that has allowed for improved graduation rates and, and a decrease in the dropout rate um, that they've been able to implement. We would have, a, I think, because of politics, probably would have had a difficult time implementing on our own. So there's some, some pluses there that, that are contributing factors on, on uh, you know, the system improving under under state receivership. Um, if the, let me interrupt. If the receivership is 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 dissolved, does that adversely affect Holyoke in terms of money that it is receiving for its school system, or that's not part of this equation? Not, and we're evaluating that so far. What, to my understanding, there isn't much of a major because of the Student Opportunity Act, um, which is, there's an increase in the funding formula every year for the next six years we're in the third year that's brought in millions and millions of dollars into our school district um to the point now where we're having a hard time spending it <laughs> so it's um uh the we there is i think about i don't know maybe three or four million dollars 
don't mark my words there, that we've gotten since day one when under state control, um, that would go away. But that, you know, because of the Student Opportunity Act, we've gotten more than that. Um, so I, I don't anticipate that being a problem. We are speaking with Holyoke Mayor jo- Joshua Garcia. My next question for the mayor will be, tell us how that tragic shooting the stray bullet that hit the woman who was eight months pregnant and she lost her child, how that has affected Holyoke and what the city's response has been. We'll find out right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Young at Heart dons their dance shoes on November 19th at 3 p.m. as they shake a tail feather with some very special guests in the show, Twist and Crawl. The Academy of Music in Northampton will be bumping and jumping with diverse dance styles. Tap, hip-hop, modern, Irish step, cumbia, salsa, and more. Featuring songs by Tito Puente, The Slits, The Band, Macy Gray, Rihanna, and so many more. Young at Heart and Twist and Crawl, Sunday, November 19th at 3 p.m. at the Academy of Music in downtown Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. On this Mayor's Monday, we continue our conversation with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Mayor, there was a tragedy in Holyoke not very long ago. Uh, A woman on a bus, eight months pregnant, was hit by a stray bullet, and she lost her child. It is really tragic, and I could hear in your voice uh, on television how sad and disturbing and concerned you were. Uh, And I know that the city has taken some actions in response to this tragedy, uh, including your address to the city council, I believe, last week. So tell us, if you would, please, what the city has done and what the uh, public safety plan is. Yeah, I, I, that, that incident, I took it very, very personally. Um, you know, uh, all the challenges that I've dealt with in that office haven't been an issue. Normal local government things, we respond. But this one right here shook me a little bit. Um, 
you know, we're a very compassionate city, but, you know, I often try to explain to folks that commitment to compassion has to be balanced with, uh, you know, social justice and our responsibility to provide for safety and the well-being of our citizens. I, you know, I think Hoyoke is a very non-traditional city. We've been implementing a lot of best non-traditional best practice methods and alternatives to respond to the different quality of life issues that lead to violent behavior. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, since this incident, I just felt like, you know, we had to do something a little bit more comprehensive. And so we've submitted a plan to the council. They're going to talk about it at committee this Wednesday, um, asking for a dollar amount to implement a comprehensive approach that focuses on several key factors on how we address these issues. So there's going to be a lot around proactive. Right now, our police department is a, a reactionary department. We, we don't fund enough to do proactive policing that people often talk about. Um, so we want to, you know, implement more proactive policing strategies, enhance surveillance, um, increasing inspectional capacity in our Board of Health building department, um, engaging in different community response efforts, implementing tenant protection and uh, strategies. You know, these are different things that we want to tackle when it comes to addressing quality of life issues. So rather than just through the lens of solely policing, which we want to improve, by the way, um, considering different things that I'm sure we'll get into. But at the same time, we know that blight attracts crime. Uh, we know that uh, absentee landlords that are not adequately keeping up with um, their responsibilities as, as landlords, and um, you know, there's issues there that we want to tackle as well. And, and creating a division out of my office, the mayor's office, a community response division um, that is able to respond to neighborhood needs and and work together with the different departments to be proactive before problems become bigger problems. Maybe, so it's, a, it's a very comprehensive approach. Go ahead. I was going to say, Mayor, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the comprehensive approach. Uh, the article I believe I read in the Republican newspaper or Mass Live had a million dollar uh, price tag on this plan and yep. had quoted you, I believe, as saying, yes, this is a plan that is uh, significantly dependent on increased policing and surveillance. Is is that right? Yeah. So um, the audit that we completed, we learned what we learned was that the department is severely understaffed and under-resourced. And, um, you know, it's a it's a it's like peeling an onion. When I stepped into this position, I get to take a deep dive. And what's what's what are the structural problems that are impacting our police department in creating these issues? And, and it's a capacity issue. So <clears throat> when people talk about traffic patrol and uh, community policing and foot patrol and bike patrol, our operating budget doesn't fund that. It funds coverage going to calls. So when you see a police officer driving by somebody who might be illegally parked or maybe someone that's just shooting up in open daylight, they're not just driving by them, they're going to a call. Um, we don't have dedicated officers on a shift solely focused on dealing with 
neighborhood quality of life issues. So yeah, the plan does ask to increase capacity in the department. Uh, also, an important part of this plan, as far as policing is concerned, is creating our own specialized internal task force, solely focused on addressing violent crimes uh, in, in our neighborhoods. So, you know, these guys, I don't want them coming to work and going to calls. I want them focused on tackling crime on different blocks of our city. Um, so, yeah, there is out of the million dollars, which is a there's a when I say a million dollars, it's a fun. It's a combination of different funding sources um, and roughly a half a million uh, goes to policing efforts. And I would like to go back for just a moment, see if I understood correctly. Are there no f regular foot patrols by officers in Holyoke? No, we don't. Yeah, we don't find we, if you do see foot patrol, it's detail work. So when you come to work as a police officer, it's minimum. We're, we're covering sh shifts on, <clears throat> we're covering patrol time coverage in a vehicle going to 911 calls as they come in, reacting when, when we need it. You call police, police will show up. That's what we find. What we don't find is uh, the extra stuff that we want to see in policing, the proactive stuff. Mayor Josh Garcia. And when you do, when you do see it, it's it's detail work. It's overtime. Uh, I certainly understand that in theory, having a greater police presence could deter crime. But you think something like the tragedy that we've all been reflecting about these these uh, drive-by guns in the street kind of thing. You think increasing <clears throat> foot patrols can stop that? Not that it, not that it can stop it. It it's. It's one component of different things that need to be done that can stop it. Now, you know, and this is what I tell folks, I can't solve the problems of the world in one municipality. We're talking about access to guns. That's a federal and state government problem. We're talking about a housing crisis. We're talking about drugs available on my streets, right? These are national problems that I'm just sitting back waiting to see what federal government's going to do to be better at these different things that are impacting my community. There's only so much I can do as mayor to tackle national problems. But what I want the public to know is that I'm doing anything and everything I can to ensure that their government is that cares about their safety. Now, I can say I, I know that all any everything that I do on my own here in the city of Holyoke is not going to stop the next, the next thing from happening. Um, but if I can do just enough that can uh, prevent as most of those things from happening at any given time, then great, then we're doing our part. Um, and I can only hope that eventually state and federal government will step in and do a better job getting these guns off our streets, better gun laws, uh, doing a better job allowing drugs from coming into our country, do a better job doing rapid housing construction which is badly needed, um, taking care, bringing in more jobs and taking care of these homeless and opioid problems. These are problems of the country that no one community can solve on their own that's actively coming into the borders of my municipality. But I think people generally understand that we can't tackle those issues, but at least they know that their mayor cares and is doing everything they can, making sure that no stone goes unturned to ensure greater safety in their community. 
We've been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke on this Mayor's Monday. Joshua Garcia, we're so appreciative of your, of your time and your insights and your leadership. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so very Thank much. Thank you for having me. Disfruta el resto de su viaje. Gracias, gracias a ustedes. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton City Council is considering implementing some new rules to curb the amount of hate speech and anti-Semitic remarks during public comment. Counselors are now considering limiting that public comment to only items listed on the agenda. Currently, public comment is allowed during the bi-monthly meetings on any topic, and counselors are not allowed to respond. New rules would also require participants who wish to speak to sign up one hour before the meeting. The proposal has been met with reservations from some counselors who are concerned over free speech. The rule changes now head to the Committee on Legislative Matters for review after the council voted unanimously to approve. The council still needs to take a final vote at their next meeting. Climate Chief Melissa Hoffer published a report with 39 recommendations to meet emissions reductions and resilience goals in the Clean Energy and Climate Plan. In Hoffer's report, MassSafe may need an overhaul to meet the energy efficiency goals and tackle pressing decarbonization projects. The report also addresses education, workforce, public health, and funding recommendations to prioritize resilience and innovation in clean energy. Union 28 is in the process of finding a new superintendent after Superintendent Jennifer Colkeen announced in September she would be retiring after this school year. Representatives from the five towns in the district, Shutesbury, Leverett, Irving, New Salem, and Wendell, have formed a search committee chaired by Stephen Blinder of New Salem. The district is still engaged in discussion on regionalization and what implications that may have for the elementary schools and communities and the new superintendent. For today, sunshine this morning, then increasing clouds this afternoon, highs 42 to 46. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the out for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the upper 40s. I'm Tony New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching, coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Here's another remarkable success story from QC Kinetics. This one from Chad, who hurt his knee at the gym one day, and it just kept on hurting for months. From my high school football and wrestling days, I already had a little bit of damage in there, but this just sent it over the edge. Chad tried traditional treatments with no improvement. When he turned to the non-surgical regenerative treatments at QC Kinetics. It was really fascinating how they did their work, and the science behind it was very intriguing, and it works. Extracting the cure out of my own body blew my mind. It's like I'm 
brand new again. It was fantastic. That's because the QC Kinetics natural biologic treatments use your body's own healing power to restore damaged tissue in your hips, shoulders, back, and knees, providing long-lasting relief. Now I'm back at the gym. I'm 100% feeling great. If you're tired of suffering with pain from arthritis or injury, call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is Black in the Valley with Amilcar Shabazz, Professor Shabazz, Chair of the Afro-American Africana Studies Department at UMass, who has with him and us today two very special guests. The pleasure of this introduction is yours. Professor. Greetings uh, and, and quick uh, correction. I'm uh, undergraduate program director. I, I, I move around administratively. Oh, right I'm, now, I'm sorry. Undergraduate <laughs> Director for the uh, Du Bois Department at UMass, but it is a great day. It is uh, uh, a little, little chilly, but uh, uh, but we are going to warm it up right now with two fantastic people. Uh, recently re-elected, the dynamic, the community-loving, community-serving, and we love her, Alicia Walker, counselor at large, town of Amherst, and the ever dynamic. Vera Doamini Cage coming in as board president of Amherst Media. Welcome. Thank you, Shabazz. Thank you, Bill, for having us on. We've got to talk to talk. We've got something dynamic coming up. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start off, Vera, with setting up what's going on? Uh, so Saturday, November 18th, um, Amherst Media is holding our first ever gala. Um, it's going to uh, honor two um, beautiful people, um, one posthumously and, uh, and one um, his spouse still alive, Victoria Silva. Um, the other is, is Vladimir uh, Morales. And so they're gonna be presented with an award and then we're uh, doing our annual meeting business, but um, part of the evening will be uh, the formal presentation of our new building. Uh, um, that on Main and Gray in downtown, a little bit off of downtown Amherst, which I think was originally supposed to be the original downtown for Amherst, um, but it's uh, positioned um, so close to the high school, and we're just so excited that young people will be able to have greater access to uh, the resource that Amherst Media provides, which is the public educational and government channels. Um, we also do YouTube and, uh, and all of those things. So we, we air Alicia and her meetings with town council, finance committee meetings, different things. Um, That's right. That's right. It shows that people produce, um, create at our, our center. That's right. And yes, and the naming of the building after um, Dr. our beloved Dr. Demetria Defay Rougeau Shabazz. Um, I'm very excited to be on the Black in the Valley to talk about that um, and bring on Alicia as well to talk about, you know, being African American in this community and, and having um, a building such as Amherst Media be named after, you know, uh, an African American woman who has done so much for this. Vera, I'd like to space and actually to create Vera, can we go back for one second? Last I think last time I think we covered 
the Amherst Media Building uh, in depth, there was a controversy going on, and there was some question about would it be completed. The building is built, you're moving in, or you are in, and Amherst Media has a new home? We're slated to, we own the property, we own the land. Um, we are doing the capital campaign to write the grants and to appeal um, with con the construction of the building. So it still needs to be constructed, but um, we've gone through the big hurdles that uh, Dr. Dimitri Shabazz led us through with getting approved by the different um, committees in town. So that was a huge hurdle that she ushered in, us through. So right now you're still on University Drive in a temporary facility, but it's all forthcoming. But let right. me also back this up a little bit further to say this annual gala taking place this Saturday, of which you can still get tickets, I imagine, and we want you to speak to that. But this has been a highlight. We're closing the the sales. Um, we're closing the sales midnight because we're almost near capacity. So people, oh, midnight is when we're closing thanks. it. You heard it on WHMP. But this gala has been like one of the highlight events annually in, in, in my life, in my household for about 15 years now. And I have to say it's a fabulous event. And one part of it is the Gene Haggerty Award for Community Engagement and Social Justice, if I have that title correctly. And it has, it has honored so many much deserving and fabulous past recipients, Ms. Pat Ononabaku, uh, for one, Alicia Walker herself, as part of the um, uh, Community Safety Working Group and its fabulous work to create an alternative uh, uh, responder group to nonviolent issues in, in Amherst uh, instead of the police. Um, you know, so Alicia, why don't you come in right now and talk about um, the, the gala and uh, in your uh, uh, having participated in the past as a Haggerty Award winner, what that has meant to you and what it's like to uh, uh, be coming this Saturday as, um, as a past recipient. Yeah, um, thank you, Dr. Shabazz. So I'm honored and excited um, about the opportunity to be here on the radio show to discuss um, <clears throat> the groundbreaking initiative for, for Dr. Demetrius Center for the Media Arts and for the up and coming gala. And I think, you know, this initiative holds great significance, not only for Amherst and Amherst residents, but just for the broader conversation about diversity and representation and the real power of community engagement. Um, as a lifelong resident, um, a mother of young children and a newly reelected counselor at large, I, ha I have a deeply personal investment in the success of initiatives that promote belonging and inclusivity and that amplify underrepresented voices in our community. Um, and so the decision to name the center after Dr. Demetria Shabazz, the first building to be named after a black woman is, is huge. It's, it's such a powerful step towards recognizing the contributions of black women in our community um, and for to be providing space for those voices to be heard. Um, it's one way that the town, you know, we can say, we, we saw you, Dee, we see you. We see all of the other people in our community. Um, you all are important. You are pillars of our community. And this is such a beautiful thing, a beautiful moment to be a part of, to be able to honor that. Um, and so I think this is about creating spaces, spaces for belonging, spaces for, for dialogue, for artistic expression, um, for celebration. And it's such a beautiful, 
sort of emblem of, of what community is in Amherst. Um, and so I feel honored to be a part of this, to be here on the show talking to you and to be um, able to attend on Saturday this beautiful community gathering that's also going to honor people who have further brought in the conversation of, you know, belonging and, and inclusivity and celebrating other cultures and other people and the significance in our community. Um, and I think this is what our town needs to bring us together. Thank you, Alicia. That was beautiful, beautifully stated. And we will go back to Professor Amilcar Shabazz in 30 seconds or however long it takes him to unmute his mic again. <laughs> oh, goodness. Thank you. That was great, Alicia. Alicia. Professor, let's do this. We're going to continue our conversation with uh, Vera Dogmani Cage and Alicia Walker and Professor Amakar Shabazz right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. When you're going through a tough time and want to talk with someone, talk with an experienced mental health care provider at ServiceNet. Talk therapy, medication management, and other treatment options. ServiceNet therapists and our psychiatry team work together to help you feel better. Having services all in one place can make a world of difference. At ServiceNet, we have your back. Call ServiceNet at 584-6855. The care you need is right here, all in one place, at ServiceNet. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our Black in the Valley segment with our segment host, who has with him and us today two very special guests, Shabazz, Amilcar Shabazz, Professor Amilcar Shabazz from UMass. The microphone is yours. 
you know, we talk about the fragility of democracy. And I was the other day able to uh, attend a program at Amherst College with the president there and with uh, Governor Healy talking about uh, uh, democracy and the common good, building democracy. And I think about Amherst Media as one of those pillars mm -hmm. of democracy, of, of, of local democracy through the access that it gives us to our local government, to, mm -hmm. to the ability to uh, democratize the media, uh, mass media, media arts. And I, I know that um, this year's Haggerty Award winner, uh, Victoria Silva and uh, Vladimir Morales, when we arrived here, we were sort of introduced to them as one of the power couples. You know, one of the thing about a power couple is not like one is real active and the other one you don't see too much. They're, they're kind of behind the more active and power couples are like they're both active and they both are moving and shaking in their own right. And that was Victoria and Vladimir. Uh, I've, I've held a tertulia um, at uh, UMass with Vladimir. I've uh, uh, for a great Puerto Rican poet. I've I've held a um, you know been to the flag raising, um, bringing out that that Puerto Rican heritage in the valley and and in this area. Um, you know through the through the annual flag raising at the at the town hall. Uh, Vladimir was on school committee. Vladimir was dynamic in so many ways. And Victoria helping people, advancing the culture, uh, supporting uh, immigrants. I mean, in so many ways. I just would love mm -hmm. it if you could talk a little more uh, about uh, the upcoming gala, some of the other aspects of it, and um, and and just really realize, recognizing that the the importance of Amherst Media and what it does, um, particularly in this event every year. Is that severe? Is that sure? Um, that that's yeah. to me. Um, yeah, we the board of directors se selected um, our awardees uh, this year based upon their you know longtime you know service to the community. Um, Victoria was at the New Africa House working with um, the Upward Bound students. Um, she also had a lengthy career. That's right. With um, she also was um, a, a, a staff member and employee with the school district at Crocker Farm Elementary School. So we're delighted to have some of her friends and colleagues come out on Saturday to speak and 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 give roses to people um, into Victoria while she's still with us. Um, and it's such a, an honor to to be able to do that. Um, and and so important to to do that while while people are are still here with us and so la familia, uh, la familia. yes um, and you know the we've we've been um, Amherst Media has been and around and it's our eighth annual meeting um, and we've been doing this award since 2010 Isaac Ben Ezra was the first recipient um, we've had Cynthia Brubaker we've had Judy Brooks the late Judy Brooks um, representative Ellen Story. Um, the Rotary Club, the the League of Women Voters, Elsie um, Fetterman, the Tartakoffs, um, and I, I I feel like, you know, this this is a some of some of the names are very, um, you know, people know and are very popular and well known. Um, but I, I think it's also important that we have an opportunity when when we do have an opportunity, we we provide people with 
with um, folks that are unsung, um, that are that when they were here, like um, Vladimir, he wasn't very well accepted by some of the the status quo folks, the mainstream folks, because he was speaking truth to power and he was an agitator. Um, and I think it's important to know while he was a former school committee member, not everyone on the school committee accepted him, right? And so. That's right. But some work and struggle around um, undocumented folks, um, not undocumented, but like non citizen residents being able to vote in local elections. That was his push, his initiative that is um, continued on today um, for that struggle for- um, Statewide, throughout the Commonwealth. Yes. People struggle. Tell me, you know, I've passed times we've had poets, uh, the Springfield uh, Poet Laureate, Magdalena Gomez read one year. Do we have any uh, poetry? Um, yes, um, Martina Espada will be joining us. Um, My man. He um, and he will be, yes, it was um, published in, you know, the, the Progressive not too long ago, um, but we're honored to have him there. We're, we have Jose Gonzalez and um, his band. Yes, some of the members there will be with us. Um, so we're trying to do it, you know, bigger than what we've done in the past. Um, and it just, um, I think, speaks to the volume of love we have for, for Vladimir and Victoria and also for our beloved friend, Dee um, Shabazz. Uh, and I'm pleased to see you come to the UMass campus again this year um, and to be in the campus center. I don't know if Chancellor Javier Reyes will make it, but, uh, you know, we've we've been feeling the, 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 the uh, you know, our Latinx from the community. And Good. Let, let me interrupt. Yes, interrupt. Um, unfortunately, the Chancellor won't make it there, but the Community Engagement Office has supported us. Um, and, you know, we're joined by, you know, um, these we've gotten a lot of support from auxiliary enterprise ken Toon. we appreciate his support yep. for the event as well thank you so let me ask you alicia walker the council at large uh, town of amherst yeah. oh, if someone says i really want to go i understand tickets are going fast where do they go to uh, be able to attend to be able to purchase tickets. Yes. So I think that might be a better question for Vera, but I believe that um, through Amherst Media that those tickets could be purchased yes. and I'm not sure. Yes, folks can go to our website, amherstmedia.org, um, but tickets, we are near capacity, so um, people can reach out and, and get on a wait list if, if that's the case. We may have to go to a bigger venue in, in the campus center at UMass, but um, we're but so give, delighted. Give donations, give donations. And give donations, the tickets are, an annual membership um, with that. And so we've kept it very um, low because um, Victoria and Vladimir, they're always, they are about the people and we want it to be accessible. So people who want to just donate, please feel free to come to our website and um, put in your donation and we'd, we'd love the support. Thank you. Emilcar. Thank you. Emilcar. Alicia. This, bu oh, yeah, this, bu this building's going to be named after your late and beloved and missed by all of us wife uh wondering if you want to share your reflections in the minute or so that we have left about this building and this event d was always uh behind the camera she was always videoing um she and and one of early projects back in houston texas uh when we we um we first got married was interviewing this long-standing 
member of the community. It was the last interviews she gave before uh, she passed. Ms. Oli Yates McCullough, part of one of the families going back to the to the freed people. Um, you know, it it was it was, and she did it using camera and equipment from uh, Houston's uh, public access station, public media. So really believed in the power of uh, of media of representation, as uh, Councilor at Large uh, Alicia Walker said. And um, and so I I'm so um, gratified that that her legacy endures will endure in this in this work mm -hmm. that Amherst Media continues to do so greatly here in in Amherst. This has been Black in the Valley with our segment host, Professor Amilcar Shabazz, Alicia Walker, who is the counselor at large in the town of Amherst, and Vera Duogmani Cage, who is a stalwart community activist and has been for decades. We are so appreciative of all of your time and all of your efforts. Uh, again, the event, the gala is where? Amilcar? Campus Center, 10th floor, 11th. 11th, Marriott Center. Marriott Center, 11th floor, and that's this Saturday, 7 p.m. Can I, can I, do I have a, um, 30 seconds to say something? No, you have 10. Uh, just so inspired by the, the um, put together, made possible the Sojourner Truth um, statue in Florence. And so just like that, we want the community to all get involved, brick by brick, dollar by dollar, we're gonna get this building built after our friend. Thank you. Now we the man's a chance to do things for ourselves. We're tired of beating our head against the wall and working for someone else. Say it loud. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to protect the developing brain. NorthamptonPrevents.org WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock. Led the largest hospital in Gaza as fighting between Israeli forces and Hamas militants intensifies outside. Others are trapped inside. Correspondent Deborah Pata reports from the West Bank. The hospital is on its knees. Medical staff operating in torchlight. They don't have what they need to do the job they pledged to do, which is to save lives. And now they are worried that not only will their patients not make it out alive, but their lives could be at risk as well. Former President Trump's eldest son arrived at court in New York last hour. He'll take the witness stand at the Trump Organization's civil fraud trial again, this time for the 
defense. Legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Donald Trump's testimony last week was rambling and off topic, largely accusing the attorney general and the judge of extreme bias and the corruption of the justice system. His son is focused more on the actual business. My guess is that today Don Jr. will testify to present how the business is done at the Trump Organization, its various layers of responsibility, and how asset prices are not an exact science. The U.S. government set to shut down at midnight Friday if lawmakers don't come up with a funding deal before then. The new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, has proposed a bill that includes two separate extensions. CBS's Robert Costa. This new strategy by the new speaker is an attempt to acknowledge the political reality that he can't get what he wants at this moment in terms of spending cuts or attacking the Internal Revenue Service and its budget. But he wants to buy himself time. Public school kids north of Boston are sitting out classes for a second day. Classes have been canceled for some 5,500 students in Andover, Massachusetts today with teachers on strike. Matt Bach is president of the Andover Education Association. We're deeply disappointed and we feel that this is not a serious negotiation, that this was a tremendous waste of everybody's time. New research shows the popular weight loss drug Wegovy could change the way doctors treat patients with heart problems. CBS is Dr. John LaPook. These are people who were overweight or obese, so BMI of 27 or above, and they had some underlying heart-related issue, almost 70% that had a heart attack. 20% decrease in heart-related issues like heart attack, stroke, or death from some heart-related issue. That's really important. So this is an important study. As the holidays approach, businesses are usually clamoring for seasonal workers. Not this year. And what could be a warning for the overall job market? Holiday hiring's fallen as much as 40%. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credit. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. This is a public holiday in Kenya dedicated to the earth. Kenyans have been given a special holiday today to plant a hundred million. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton City Council is considering implementing some new rules to curb the amount of hate speech and anti-Semitic remarks during public comment. Councilors are now considering limiting that public comment to only items listed on the agenda. Currently, public comment is allowed during the bi-monthly meetings on any topic, and councilors are not allowed to respond. New rules would also require participants who wish to speak to sign up one hour before the meeting. The proposal has been met with reservations from some councilors who are concerned over free speech. 
The rule changes now head to the Committee on Legislative Matters for review after the council voted unanimously to approve. The council still needs to take a final vote at their next meeting. Climate Chief Melissa Hoffer published a report with 39 recommendations to meet emissions reductions and resilience goals in the Clean Energy and Climate Plan. In Hoffer's report, MassSafe may need an overhaul to meet the energy efficiency goals and tackle pressing decarbonization projects. The report also addresses education, workforce, public health, and funding recommendations to prioritize resilience and innovation in clean energy. Union 28 is in the process of finding a new superintendent after Superintendent Jennifer Colkeen announced in September she would be retiring after this school year. Representatives from the five towns in the district, Shutesbury, Leverett, Irving, New Salem, and Wendell, have formed a search committee chaired by Stephen Blinder of New Salem. The district is still engaged in discussion on regionalization and what implications that may have for the elementary schools and communities and the new superintendent. For today, sunshine this morning, then increasing clouds this afternoon, highs 42 to 46. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the outlook for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the upper 40s. I'm Tony New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, we've been talking a lot since the election last Tuesday about the health of democracy. We've been talking about low voter turnouts. We've been talking uh, about whether or not uh, off-year elections, odd-number year elections make any sense. I, I want to tell you, and I think you know about this, Bill, I've been right now at our home for this month is a young uh, Russian dissident her and her husband fled Russia because of the fear that he was going to be conscripted to fight in the Ukraine. As he says, he doesn't want to kill and he doesn't want to be killed. He's right now being held in a processing center in Texas. They came in through Mexico, um, and she is staying with my wife and I. Hopefully we'll get her own apartment beginning of December. The reason why I'm talking about that is they came here because they revere the notion of democracy. They've revere the notion of American democracy, and they want to spend the rest of their lives here. Um, apropos to that, there's a, an extraordinary piece that I was just privileged to read in U2, Bill, um, written by Professor Austin Sarrett. He is a political scientist who teaches uh, jurisprudence and political science at Amherst College. He wrote a piece called Young Americans Are Losing Faith in Democracy, and educators must act now. Uh, Professor Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So I was very moved by this piece. Can you sort of lay out the thesis of this piece for our listeners? Sure. Um, Americans of a younger generation have grown up at a time when two things have been true. On the one hand, they have been able to take democracy for granted. After the fall of the Soviet Union, 1989, it seemed that democracy was triumphant. So on the one hand, over the last three decades or so, uh, people have been able to take democratic governance uh, for granted. But on the other hand, people have grown up over the last three decades have grown up at a time when democratic governance has not performed very well. 
So people my age, we grew up in the shadow of uh, what I would call democracy's triumphs, the New Deal, and later on, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Uh, younger people today have grown up at a time when democracy, while taken for granted, hasn't seemed to be performing very well. And as a result of that, uh, we know certain things. What do we know? We know that younger people are much less attached to democracy as a form of government than our older people. And let me just mention one, one poll finding. A poll was done both actually in the United States and Europe in which respondents were asked to answer the following question. How essential is it to live in a society governed democratically? How essential is it to live in a society governed democratically? And people born in the, and then the responses were broken up by age cohort. People born in the 1930s and 40s, roughly 75% of them said, in answer to that question, that it's essential to live in a society governed democratically. People born in the 1980s and after, that number is roughly 25%. So what my piece tries to do is to lay out and explain um, why it is that younger people are less attached to democracy than older people, and to make a case that people in the education business, in primary, secondary, and in colleges and universities, need to take this loss of faith in democracy seriously, and we need to get back in the business of educating for democracy. What I was struck by, Austin, as I read your piece, it's, um, it is very, very poignant, and it makes that case well and talks about that educator should do that. At the same time, I know you as an educator, I think most political scientists also want to teach critical thinking. We don't want to just sort of lavish praise on a democracy when it's not, uh, without, without looking at all angles of what it does and what it doesn't do particularly in a capitalist society, a capitalist economy, so many people are left behind. So how do you both cause students to understand the value of a democratic uh, governance model and at the same time teach how to look at things critically? So I don't know about you folks, but when, when I was in school, in public school in Providence, Rhode Island, I was exposed to what was then called civics. I took a civics course. And the civics course that I took was um, pretty celebratory. Uh, it, it, it wanted to convince students that A, America was a democracy, and B, that it was a pretty fabulous uh, success. Uh, that kind of civics education, which by the way, I should tell you that my teacher at the end of that civics course told me that I had no aptitude for civics or government. <laughs> I spent almost half a century teaching political science. Uh, I guess revenge is best served cold. <laughs> but but that kind of civic education has you know long long ago fallen by the wayside. To educate for democracy is not necessarily to be engaged in a project merely of celebration. You can love a thing and criticize it. 
you can be devoted to a thing and want it to be improved. What I tell my students is the following. Many of my students are committed to social justice causes. They want environmental justice, they want gender justice, they want racial justice. Appropriately, they want those things. What I tell my students is if you want to achieve social justice, your best chance of doing that is by preserving and improving democracy. Without democracy, the chances of attaining gender justice, racial justice, environmental justice are minimal if they exist at all. So educating students for democracy, we can educate students in the flaws of democratic governance. We can educate students in the history of democratic governance in the United States and elsewhere. We can educate students so that they understand why it is that in the United States, to take that as an example, we've had democracy without inclusion for a very long time. So, Professor Austin Sarrett, does this come down to a Joni Mitchell and Big Yellow Taxi? You don't know what you got till it's gone? Is it that simple? People my age grew up at a time when there was an existential threat to our way of life. I remember being told in the early 1950s, better dead than red. Uh, we, we, we knew the threat of fascism and communism. As I said, since the fall of communism in 1989, generations have grown up without an existential threat. Now, you know, Winston Churchill famously said, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest. And here's something which um, I, I don't know whether or not you would agree. From the point of view of the revival of interest in democracy, thank God for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Notice what I said, though. I still want to be able to do my shopping at Whole Foods, so I've got to get this right. <laughs> I, I wasn't saying, thank God for Donald Trump. What I was saying is, from the perspective of the revival of interest in democracy, Trump is to our generation, to, to my students' generation, what communism and fascism were to an earlier generation. It's put a conversation about democracy back on the table. And my um, hope in talking to my students is to make them aware of the threat that uh, we now face, a threat to democracy and all of the consequences that would follow if that threat materialized in really a loss of democratic governance. So this is Dan. I, I want to understand, I guess, the difference between civic education and history, because uh, you you learned civics. Um, they stopped teaching that at some point. But I think that if you are teaching U.S. history, I think that that would be incorporating civics. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going to I don't want to get into a a kind of academic equivalent of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Uh, you can call history, history education, civic education. 
But most of history education is not necessarily educating people, American history, educating people about the way the political process works. It's not educating people, look, here's the task that we face if we want to educate people for democracy. We need to remind people, we need to remind our students what it means to think democratically. What are the obligations and the responsibilities and the aspirations that are attached to democratic citizens? Uh, citizenship, let me name a couple. So to think democratically, you need to tell the truth as you know it, but to tell the truth so that it can be heard by others who don't already agree with you. To think democratically is to practice empathy before criticism. To think democratically is to embrace a kind of humility and a realization that your views may not be the only views. To think democratically is to prize listening as much as speaking. Now, those virtues might come out in the course of a conversation about Andrew Jackson or a course of a conversation about the Depression, but they needn't. So maybe you could do civics education or democracy education in the course of American history, American history course, and the knowledge of our history is certainly essential to any aspiration to educate people for democracy. And I, I want to go back to something else you said that I found very fascinating, that if you, in fact, love something, you can also be critical of it. Can you just explain that a little further? Because I found that to be very interesting to me. That's absolutely core to loving something. If I don't love something, I just ignore it. But you said if you love something, you can also be critical of it. Talk about that. Well, anybody that's been a child or that has had a child knows that essential to the act of love is asking someone you love or something you love to be their best self. So I think um, criticism is an essential part of what it means to be loyal <laughs> and attached. Not criticism for criticism's sake, but constructive criticism. Here's what it is that would be involved in being our best selves. As teachers, as parents, as citizens, and when we fail, calling our attention to our failures and hopefully how to improve. Uh, look, uh, if we know anything about American democracy in the past or in the present, we know that it's been a, a story of two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward for inclusion and equality and treating people with dignity but one step back, we fail, we backslide. And keeping in mind both the aspiration and reminding where we fail is essential to democratic improvement and democratic improvement is essential to democratic preservation. We are speaking with Professor Austin Sarratt, the William Nelson Cromwell Professor of Jurisprudence and Political Science at Amherst College. We're talking about 
faith in our democracy and talking about the role that educators play. When we come back, I want to ask Professor Sarrett more about, uh, as, as he says, thinking democratically and about this effort by students uh, for democracy at Amherst College and their campaign to get peers to pledge to work for democracy. We'll be right back with Professor Sarrett right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist, releases certificates on the Shop 30 store. If you're feeling anxious, want to stop smoking, eat less, or drink less, whatever's got you stuck, Ruth Ann can help you get unstuck. Hypnosis has been around for thousands of years because it works. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Ruth Ann Lundeberg, hypnotherapist. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Inflation at the supermarket checkout counter continued in October as the Consumer Affairs Data Assembly Shopping Cart Index rose 1.4% from September. The index, based on the price of 25 grocery items tracked in real time by Data Assembly, is up 1.7% over September 2022. If you're traveling over the holidays, get ready for some confusion about what is a carry-on item. A consumer affairs investigation found that it varies from airline to airline. What one airline may accept may be rejected by another, resulting in an unexpected fee. JCPenney is rolling back the calendar to 2019 with its prices for the upcoming holiday season. In addition to selling gifts listed at pre-inflation prices, JCPenney will also offer thousands of gifts under $15, hundreds of items at 2022 prices. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation with Professor Austin Sarrett of Amherst College about his piece, Young Americans are Losing Faith in Democracy and Educators Must Act Now. And before the break, Professor, I asked you about this new group that we've heard about, Amherst Students for Democracy and their campaign. Can you tell us about it? Sure. A um, couple of years ago, uh, I began to think that uh, at the college and university level, we needed to revive uh, education about democracy. And I convened a group of faculty at Amherst under the theme of thinking democratically. And we have been developing over the last couple of years uh, a set of courses which are seeding throughout the curriculum uh, in anthropology and classics and religion and history and philosophy and political science about democracy, its history, 
uh, democracy in the United States and abroad. As part of that effort, I um, asked a couple of students who I knew well whether they might be interested in creating a group on campus uh, called Amherst Students for Democracy. And the purpose of that group would be to, uh, for students to explore and think together about uh, democracy and what it means both on the campus and in the community and beyond. And I asked them whether or not they thought students at Amherst might be interested in the following proposition that sometime during their four years of college, they would commit themselves to work for or with an organization committed to the preservation or improvement of democracy in the United States or abroad. Uh, talking about what they would do during college, I mean, afterwards they can go on and be investment bankers or they can be lawyers or they can be uh, social workers, but sometime during their four years of college, would they commit themselves to working for a democracy organization. And Amherst Students for Democracy took up that challenge and a couple of weeks ago launched what we call the Take the Pledge campaign, asking students to pledge to work for a democracy organization. And so far, more than 300 of Amherst's roughly 1,800 students have signed the pledge that they will work sometime during their four years as a summer intern or in January or during the course of the semester for an organization dedicated to preserving or improving democracy. And from my point of view, 300 students agreeing to do that is quite remarkable and quite wonderful. I agree. That's a large percentage of a student body to get involved in a project. But that said, Austin Sarrett, the cynicism that I think you capture uh, by saying that democracy or belief in democracy is dissipating uh, among young people, it seems to me that, that cynicism is well-deserved well when you look at, or they look at, gerrymandering and voter suppression and an anti-democratic uh, electoral college and uh, Wyoming. And a breathtakingly and, awful speech by Trump on Veterans Day saying what he would do if president... And, and Wyoming, uh, with its 579,000 population, uh, California with uh, 40 million, both have two senators. I mean, this is, to say the least, a system that is imperfect, is actually uh, seriously and fundamentally flawed as a democracy. So why aren't the, those, those uh, who are cynical, uh, why aren't they right? Well, I think skepticism and cynicism are different things. I think we can identify all the ways in which the society is not fully or adequately democratic without abandoning the aspiration to improve it. And Bill, what you said is, uh, uh, is true, but only half true. That's so pretty good story... for me. I'm going to go with 50%. <laughs> Look, at Amherst, that gets you an A minus grade. <laughs> so, uh, so there's another side of the story, which is if you actually look at the story of American history, it's a story of, as I said, gradual improvement and expansion of democratic possibilities. It's not simply a story of the Electoral College. It's not simply a story of malapportionment. 
it's not simply a story of all of the ways in which our institutions do not reflect the will of the people. So we need to tell both sides of the story, not just one side of the story. And what I tell my students is criticism is warranted. There's no doubt about it. But improvement is what we ought to be fighting for. And you don't want to throw the thing out and say, oh, well, we've really given up because we've grown up in a world in which our aspirations to democracy are not um, are not are not realized. You want to commit yourself to the improvement of democracy, because, as I said, improvement is necessary to preservation. And yes, it's fashionable among lefties in Amherst and Northampton to remind us of all of the flaws of American democracy. And those reminders are well taken and well made. But okay, we now know what the flaws are. Now what? And the fact that 300 Amherst students agreed to put their time where their mouths are, commit to working for organizations dedicated to the preservation and improvement of democracy, tells me that at least among those 300 students, they're not blind idealists. They're not blind to all of the problems of uh, American democracy, but they're committed to the proposition, and I think it's the right proposition, that if you want to build a more just, a more inclusive, a more egalitarian world, the way you do it is you do it through democratic institutions. Because the most enduring changes are changes which come from the people up, from the bottom up, in which the population and the citizens and the residents embrace them as their own. So that's what I think the Take the Pledge campaign is about. That's what thinking democratically is about on the Amherst campus. It's not a blind celebration. The way you deal with doubt, the way you deal with skepticism, is you deal with it by engagement. What an incredibly appropriate place to leave this conversation. Uh, Austin Sarah, thank you so much for uh, all that you do for your piece on the Hill, which people should take a look at. Young Americans are losing faith in democracy. Educators must now must act now. And um, if you ever get to see that civics professor and say, uh, you had it all <laughs> wrong, please do convey our agreement that it is all wrong. Thank you so much, Professor. Take care. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton City Council is considering implementing some new rules to curb the amount of hate speech and anti-Semitic remarks during public comment. Counselors are now considering limiting that public comment to only items listed on the agenda. Currently, public comment is allowed during the bi-monthly meetings on any topic, and counselors are not allowed to respond. New rules would also require participants who wish to speak to sign up one hour before the meeting. The proposal has been met with reservations from some counselors who are concerned over free speech. The rule changes now head to the Committee on Legislative Matters for review after the council voted unanimously to approve. The council still needs to take a final vote at their next meeting. Climate Chief Melissa Hoffer published a report with 39 recommendations to meet emissions reductions and resilience goals in the Clean Energy and Climate Plan. In Hoffer's report, MassSafe may need an overhaul to meet the energy efficiency goals and tackle pressing decarbonization projects. 
The report also addresses education, workforce, public health, and funding recommendations to prioritize resilience and innovation in clean energy. Union 28 is in the process of finding a new superintendent after Superintendent Jennifer Colkeen announced in September she would be retiring after this school year. Representatives from the five towns in the district, Shutesbury, Leverett, Irving, New Salem, and Wendell, have formed a search committee chaired by Stephen Blinder of New Salem. The district is still engaged in discussion on regionalization and what implications that may have for the elementary schools and communities and the new superintendent. For today, sunshine this morning, then increasing clouds this afternoon, highs 42 to 46. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the out for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the upper 40s. I'm Tony New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Where is your pain? In your knees? Hips? Your back? Don't let it sideline you any longer, and don't let them tell you surgery is your only option. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, restoring and repairing damaged joint tissue the natural way, using healing properties from your own body to bring you lasting relief with no drugs and no downtime. QC Kinetics is trusted by patients all over America with 150 clinics nationwide. Get started now so you can live big in 2024. Talk about a great use of your FSA and HSA. Put them to work getting you the relief you need so badly. And again, there are no drugs, no downtime, and no surgery. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Let their medical professionals give you a better path towards that pain-free life. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You want to feel important. You want to be part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. But our part-time service in the Army National Guard means we get to be more. When our communities are in need, we get the chance to stand up and do something about it. We get to serve in our own region and help the people we call neighbors. From the coasts of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Jersey. The small communities of Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. To the dense forests of New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and historic Washington, D.C. We are here for our hometowns. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back with Talk to Talk. You know, we live in such a very special community. And, Dan, you have long been committed to this notion of community community media, community communications, community news. And we have a couple of guests here that are keeping that tradition alive. That's right, Buzz. This week is a very special week for Valley Free Radio. Uh, we have Ed Malachowski and Stefan Ward-Wheaton two board members here to talk about what is happening with Valley Free Radio that our audience should know. Ed, tell us what's <laughs> happening this week with Valley Free Radio. And for those who our listeners don't know, tell us what Valley Free Radio is. Yeah, Valley Free Radio is a completely nonprofit, all-volunteer community radio station here in Florence. And we're at 103.3 FM 
and we've been around for 18 years as part of the Low Power FM um, beginnings. Uh, started actually with uh, with some pi- kind of pirate radio uh, origins. Uh, Stefan, you've been around <laughs> yes. a little longer. You might know some of that. But Prometheus Radio Project started uh, a lot of FM low power stations uh, uh, around that time ago, 18 years ago. And we're still going. So Ed Malachowski, stop there for one second. When you say low power FM, what does that mean? We're 100 watts, so uh, the FCC decided that uh, the bandwidth didn't have enough variety in it and that there were opportunities for more stations to come in as long as they weren't high power and that they weren't conflicting with uh, other towns or other folks on the, on the dial. So uh, low power enabled local communities to do local uh, broadcasting uh, and not interfere with the big stations or the ones on the dial that are nearby. And it spawned hundreds of low-power FM stations throughout the country. Spawned hundreds. How many survive? I don't actually have the numbers of that. Stefan, you yeah, can speak to that. I don't, I don't have the numbers either, but a substantial number uh, do uh, go out of uh, either their, um, their frequencies will essentially go out of registration and get picked up by another entity, often, um, often uh Religious groups will um, take a lot of LPFMs. Also, uh, college colleges and universities tend to grab those for themselves as well. We're, Valley for Radio is kind of an anomaly in that it's a completely uh, volunteer-run, grassroots, open-format uh, radio station that is not owned or beholden to an, an entity or an uh, organization of any kind. With the, call letter, with the call letters WXOJ, right? That's right. Okay. And, yeah. and for full disclosure, there are no employees, right, Stefan? No this employees, yes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's and, a truly kind of, yeah. And so you're trying to raise money. What's the money going to go for? It goes to essentially just keeping the radio station on air. Unfortunately, even without uh, paying labor costs, uh, there's a lot that goes into... Uh, just maintaining a radio station, keeping the transmitter up to date, keeping the broadcast equipment up to date, microphones, uh, computers. There's a lot of hardware that has to go into a radio station. And, um, and we just want to kind of make ourselves the best community radio that we can be. Well, I'm glad you brought up community radio. Tell, uh, tell our listeners, what um, shows do you have on right now on uh, WXOJLP? Yeah, um, you know, we have uh, 30 uh, independently produced music shows uh, with 30 independent guests, and we have 12 uh, public affair talk shows uh, that are also independently run and completely driven by the programmer themselves. So uh, between 42 right now and we have three new applicants, we're, we're always around 45 to 50 local shows that are put together by folks like Stefan, who has Warm Heart of Africa in his <laughs> Afrobeat, and I have a, a couple of shows. We all, uh, we are actually accepting applications, too. Pe- people want to uh, have their own radio show behind the mic. Um, they're welcome to come to valleyfreeradio.org. And so tell us, if people have podcasts out there right now, they might be listening to this show, and they want to apply for their own show or take their podcast and put it on a low power. Is that possible? It is possible. You know, there are some differences between a radio show and a podcast show, but they are they are getting closer and closer mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, how they can be done. So as long as we have, um, you know, we really do want to reflect our own community. And as long as that podcast is something to do with our valley or our area, 
our folks from our um, listening audience. I think you know, we have some syndicated shows, but we're really trying to, to increase the voices uh, from our rally. And I should also yeah. point out for podcasters out there listening who, you know, do kind of mostly tier their content online, we have studio space available that can be used for more professional-grade broadcasting for people who might just be operating off a laptop computer. Um, and, you know, you're welcome to come to Valley for Radio, too, and, uh, and produce your, your, your content there. So we're talking to Stefan Ward-Wheaton, board member at Valley Free Radio, and Malachowski, board member at Valley Free Radio. They're looking for funds. They're looking for money to keep them on the air because it's about community. It's about community radio. It's about fundraising. They need the money this week. <laughs> yes. And you guys just do this one time a year, two times a year? We what do happens? this twice a year. Um, we have a spring and fall fund drive. It usually lasts for about a week, um, although, of course, we accept uh, we accept donations anytime, but we make special pushes during this time of year. This uh, week as well, we have a matching grant. Uh, dollar for dollar, up to uh, $5,000 from the estate of uh, David Dow, who is a, a late and uh, enthusiastic supporter of the station. And so uh, if every uh, dollar you give it, uh, valleyforradio.org gets doubled this week. Um, give um, give a dollar and uh, you know it becomes two. Give $10, it becomes 20. It's, it's a really good deal for supporting community media. Stefan Ward, we now want to ask you, you work for commercial radio. Yes. Right here. I'm in a <laughs> you can hear me on HMP on the afternoons for the news, but yes. And you do production and you do all other stuff. And we try to be responsive to our community, but there's something different about Valley Free Radio that causes you to volunteer. And what is that? It's, well, this is, uh, Valley Free Radio was really kind of how I got, I, I was in uh, radio in college a little bit, um, but Valley Free Radio really kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of radio as a, not just a kind of broad spectrum medium for anyone who has an FM signal, but for a medium that can really be on the ground and reflecting the interests and the kind of talents of the community in a way that, unfortunately, you know, commercial radio, which does many things very well, doesn't always um, bridge that gap. So I see community media and community radio as being kind of that step between uh, what's happening just in people's everyday lives and what's happening in our professional kind of uh, national media landscape. We're the we're the we're that local bridge, I think. And our fund drive this year is um, got a pretty modest goal as far as other um, charities and other organizations. We're looking for five thousand dollars, which would be matched for ten thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. And you know that's not a ton, but we also uh, desperately need it just to pay. Uh, we are purchasing a new transmitter. We are trying to keep. Uh, to uh, modern standards <laughs> with the boards that we have and, and all the communications, um, that the technology that, that keeps us going. You know, the rest of it is all volunteer for us. So every dollar that gets donated really does go towards uh, really necessary um, infrastructure. Well, you've convinced me. <laughs> so uh, tell people how they can donate again valleyfreeradio.org there's a donate button in virtually every page on that uh, on that yes. uh, that org valleyfreeradio.org is the easiest way Valley yes Free Radio, and incredible re- go ahead and i should also just point since we are a 501c3 uh, nonprofit uh, any uh, any donation is tax deductible 
an incredible resource that we enjoy here in the community, and uh, we should keep it alive, and more than that, keep it flourishing. So please do check it out, and please do hit that donate button, and good luck to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. We'll be right back with Writer's Block with Megan Zinn <coughs> and a special guest right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Pie is like duct tape. It fixes everything. We must have pie, the great playwright David Mamet said. Stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. So you go to Paul and Elizabeth's, you order a slice of pie, or you call and order a whole pie. I'll pick it up Saturday. They make cream pies at Paul and Elizabeth's and fruit pies. Whatever's in season, peach pie in deep summer, apple in fall. Pie fixes everything. Therefore, Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant is a repair shop inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. My name is Jenny Papa George. I'm the director of Plan Giving at Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Having a strong community health system is vital to the health and well-being of our community. At Cooley, we're grateful to the community that supports us through your kind words, generous gifts, and legacy plans. Without you, we wouldn't have a thriving community hospital that's here for you and the people you love. I welcome you to get in touch to talk about what Cooley means to you. Visit us at cooleydickinson.org/giving. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And you are listening to our Writer's Block segment with Megan Zinn. And once again, Megan, you've brought us a pretty interesting author. Well, yeah. And, and fortunately, the Odyssey brings in such great authors, and they give me uh, people to interview in the process. Um, I'll, I'll, mention, I'll mention that in a sec. Um, so my guest is writer, artist, and educator James Jennings. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. James is, as I said, an artist, writer, and educator. He is an English teacher at Martha's Vineyards Regional High School in Oak Bluffs, Massachusetts. And his first novel out this month is Wings of Red. And James Jennings will be at Odyssey Bookshop, um, as I mentioned, to talk about Wings of Red on Thursday, November 16th at 7 p.m. And you can find out more on their website, odysseybks.com. So, James, tell us about Wings of Red. Well, just to make a little side note, mm -hmm. that was about five jobs ago. Uh, when oh. I was teaching English. <laughs> Your <laughs> so bio's out of date. English at the high school, and then I taught at the charter school on Martha's Vineyard. Ah, okay. And then I went back to my original school in New York City, where I was the internship coordinator. But that actually terminated last Friday. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um. yeah, uh, Wings of Red is a novel I've been working on for about 
12 to 13 years, mm -hmm. I thought I would write a novel a year uh, when I was a senior in high school. <laughs> so Wings of Red is uh, uh, a roundabout way of getting a novel done. <laughs> Um, can you can you read a, a little bit for us? Sure. So I chose the section where I have an asthma attack and die. Okay. Yes. Light reading. Light reading. Uh, so it's section 12, uh, page 160. It's an embarrassing and desperate ascension, but we make it to the top step in a stream of cooler air. Drop my bag, unbutton my shirt, and try to regroup. Woozy. Rest for a few minutes. Try to stand up and succeed. Shoulder messenger and still okay. I walk slowly. Pocket phone and zombie through security gate. Show guard my ID, hoping he can see the fear in my eyes and arrest the angel of death stalking me, but he doesn't. Make it as far as the library and have a seat on the ice cold slate in front of the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. I become aware of the inevitable and see two graduate students approaching. As for help, I command myself. This is it. My soul screams out, of course, but I don't. I watch them pass. Take phone out to find hospital and it dies. To my young readers, don't be too cool to ask for help ever about anything, especially if you're about to die before a bust of Martin Luther King Jr. Pocket my phone, resign to the inevitable. I lie back down and begin to let go. If you've never had an asthma attack, it's a surround sound of suffocation and misery. When your ears are plugged or filled with fluids, you hear what's going on inside, loud and clear. The more your immune system fights, the more your head fills with the fluids and the more the fluids, the more fluids, the more pressure. Eventually, if you're as foolish as I am, you'll find yourself with the hurricane between your ears and no place to rest. I'm transported temporarily back to when we were staying with Nora in Newington. Nora was an angel with a thousand cats. We'd been evicted twice and we were lucky to have a roof over our heads at the time. So cats were the least of our concerns, but they did me in good. It just so happened that my best friend Timothy popped up around the same time and came to visit us. He was in a transient phase himself, I believe, but we hadn't seen each other for years since Love Lane and Timothy always had jokes. Anyways, I go on okay, to talk about yeah. how Timothy yeah, made me yeah. laugh. <laughs> um, so what is the story that you're telling in Wings of Red? Uh, it's, it's a homeless substitute teacher who reluctantly realizes that educating or mentoring more appropriately is is something that might that, that something that's for him. Uh, so he he's he's a creative, but he's not recognized anywhere for. And it's my life. It's, okay. All yeah. the characters can recognize themselves in mm -hmm. real life. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Um, what inspired you to tell the story? And, and I know this is, um, uh, you've referred to it as, um, or it's referred to um, in your materials as auto, and I'm blanking on it, but auto, auto fiction. Kind um, of tell, tell us what that is and sort of why you chose to tell your story this way. Yeah, I'm one of those weird people who can't <laughs> not create. And mm -hmm. so initially, I learned from my, Timothy, who I mentioned, mm -hmm. he taught me how to 
draw and paint, but he was so much better than me that I, I just never even imagined it'd be something that I'd be good at. And once I learned how to write, uh, I saw that, oh, this could be my talent. So I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and I've never not written. Wonderful. My, my guest is James Jennings, author of Wings of Red. And, and Wings of Red has written sort of his journal entries. Uh, why did you choose this narrative style? Oh, as I was living it, I was writing it. Ah, so it, okay. was, it was journal entries. And then once I looked at it as literature and fine art, uh, I figured that the form actually fit. It just took a lot of sculpting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it does create an immediacy and, and, and a strong connection with the reader, I found. Um, so um, you are um, an educator and you've worked in a variety of educational positions. Um, and as we all know, it's an enormously challenging and often thankless field. Um, yes. what, what keeps you going with it? Well, like I said last Friday, I submitted my letter of resignation to the New York City Department okay. of Education. <laughs> so, but I have multiple nonprofits that I work with and uh, much like June, Mm-hmm. Once you mm-hmm. once you really start to work with young people and you understand the, the exchange, you know, there's there's something that I'm giving them, of course, and I'm, I'm proud to do that. I come from people who have all like, like the people who saved me it, it, it were pretty much angels and they didn't have to. So mm-hmm. I kind of give them that same type of energy. And that's where the title Wings of Red comes from. Okay. Uh, but. I also realize that they give me a lot more and there's a, I don't want to say innocence, but there is a vitality Mm -hmm. there that really recharges me and keeps me uh, from becoming jaded. Yeah. Yeah. A genuineness in kids that, that, you know, they're, they're not faking anything. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, you know, I was reading a little bit on education. I saw a stat in a PBS article that only two percent of teachers um, are black men. Do you do you have a sense of what the education sector needs to do to bring more black men into education, which is, I think, a dire need? Yeah, I think it's a greater problem if we're going to talk about uh, sectors. Education is just one that reflects many. And the the greater problem is America has to come to terms Mm. with their history. And if we're going to communicate honestly and authentically, then you you can't you can't really do it in a way that's branded. It has to be genuine and authentic. And of of course, you know, I'm I'm not taking away from any well-branded exercises, but if it's not genuine, Mm -hmm. everyone, especially this is what I'm learning from the youth when things are inauthentic after uh, over time it it crumbles people can tell it doesn't last um the only way it can last is through like overpowering branded experiences so uh with black males in education it's always like oh let's have an initiative to get this percentage of and it's some number but it's like well it's not working obviously it's not genuine um uh, I'm speaking with James Jennings, author of Wings of Red. Um, and, I, and I think we might infer that James himself is a black man. Yeah, I yes. I should say that. I guess I, <laughs> I, I, I did imply that. Um, yes. Um, so um, in, our, in our last minute um, or so, um, what writers inspire you? 
Well, uh, it's funny that auto fiction came up as a way to categorize my work because the writers that I love, uh, Toni Morrison, mm -hmm. Hemingway, uh, Ralph Ellison, they've all, James Baldwin, they've all written their stories and then turned it into fiction. I would read the fiction, then realize after reading the biography that the fiction was so close to the biography that why not? Like Ralph Ellison learned how to hunt from reading Hemingway, right? Oh, so, wow, I love that. Right, right, uh, wing shooting, whatever that is. So uh, those are the writers that inspire me. But if you're putting words to page, you're inspiring me in these days because so few people read in my, in my reality mm -hmm. that anyone who's writing and reading is inspiring me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been speaking with James Jenning, author of Wings of Red. Um, and to finish off, what are you currently reading? Uh, right now, I'm not. I'm uh, taking a break from reading. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting into the next work, but I owe so many people that I'm just journaling and running and jumping in the ocean when yeah, I can. Yeah. And then doing some book events. Um, speaking of which, James will be at Odyssey Bookshop to talk about Wings of Red on Thursday, November 16th at 7 p.m. And you can find out more on their website, Odyssey BKS. James Jennings, thank you very much for chatting with us. Well, I just have us. one other question for you, James, which is, is the journaling you're doing now a set up for your next book? Yeah, I think I have about 20 books already. <laughs> I journal religiously. So I but my life has become so dynamic that everything feels like a book. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> it gives us a lot to look forward to. Megan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. thank you, James. Thank you, James. Good uh, luck at that reading and good luck with Wings of Red. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. All right. Bill. Yeah. Odyssey Bookshop. Okay. <laughs> oh, Thursday, this Thursday at 7 p.m. This Thursday, 7 p.m., Odyssey Bookshop. Thank you, James. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on Talk the Talk. We'll be with you again tomorrow. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5998. Looking to take a little breather from the news? We don't blame you. Why don't you turn the dial over to our pure oldie station? I'm walking, yeah, the and I'm talking. It's the but music you, you grew me, up with. Hoping, you come back to me. WHMP and the news will be right here when you get back. The Valley's Pure Oldies, 96.9 and 100.5. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls.